Welcome to Hunting Land. If you'd like to stay up to date on hunting tactics, land management, land values, and land market dynamics, this is the podcast for you. I'm Joe Baia, joined here again with Clint Flowers. And Clint, this has been a wild week in land sales, man. You may deal with this more, but I haven't dealt with a whole lot of multiple offer situations on land. It tends to be a little slower pace, but it seems like everything I've got on the market right now has got got multiple offers coming in and it's a little bit stressful. How's your week, man? Good. I mean, we've been wide open. It's been hard to keep up with all the demand and I'm, I mean, we're proud to, to be busy in, in these times. Ironically, with all that's going on in the world, you know, we're seeing the best land market that I've seen of my career. You know, it's, it's been great out there. Well, you and I talked about it on, on the show that we did, you know, specifically talking about COVID-19 and what to do and, and what, what was going to happen. And you actually predicted this several months ago that we were going to see this this type of activity. And it's interesting in some of the other content that I produce on the, on the fishing side, in recreational vehicles like boats and RVs and things of that nature, the lots are sold out. They don't have any inventory. People are buying them like crazy. They're paying, you know, they're buying used boats for over what people paid for them two years ago. I would not have expected that because with all the talk you hear about the economy and what COVID may produce, and I would think people would be much more conservative, reserved. But I think what we're seeing is that where people can't spend money in other places, like with travel, and maybe we're not going to have a football season this year, you know, they're now realizing, well, heck, I can get out on land and enjoy that. I can buy a camper and go travel and enjoy being outdoors. I can get out on a boat every weekend with my family. They're spending some of that money in other places. And and that's definitely, definitely trickled in to the land market because I'm seeing people coming in into the market that normally are have no interest in land and they've, they've got an interest now because they realize that this is something I can do uh, throughout this pandemic and, and going forward. And who knows if this is the new normal? Yeah. I mean, we always talk about the components of value here and we're, and we're typically talking about, you know, land, bare land values or timber or agricultural values, but there's always that biggest component of value of all to me is the utility of the land, you know, your use of it, what value that has to you and your family. And we're really seeing that become apparent to more and more people because of COVID. And I'm thankful to see that the value in, in use to them is has gone up greatly. Yeah, I'm the same way. I'm really thankful to see these new folks entering the market because they, they ask a lot of good questions and they're interested in in a lot of the things that we talk about on here, you know, because they just haven't been exposed to it yet. But it's fun to see as as we start to talk about things like pine straw harvests and timber harvests and you know all the different ways you can make money off land and shelter taxes on land with land and do all these different things that we talk about on here they're just as excited as we are when we learned about it the first time and been a lot of fun it, seeing people get excited about land and and all these new faces coming in it, it has been a lot of fun and man I tell you what if if you're on the fence about selling right now don't be. It is, it's the time. Interest rates are still amazingly low. <laughs> and in, uh, that's another thing I'm seeing in my market is with these interest rates being so low, refinances are really peaking. A lot of people are refinancing their property. 
uh, it's leading to some slowdowns and closings. Are, are you seeing the same thing in, in your market where it's taking a little long to get financing in, in order because of all the, the refinances that are going on? Yeah, there's a little bit of logistical hiccups here and there, but I mean, we it hasn't slowed us down much just because of, you know, when you've got good agricultural lenders like the Alabama Ag Credit or their sister entities in each state, you know, they're so specialized and prepared that we really haven't seen much lag, but there has been some some stuff here and there, depending on the county you're in and the title work that's involved. But another thing that's odd to me, again, with with all this going on, is there's opportunities for both sides. You know, as a seller, there's a lot of demand, but as a buyer, your money's never been able to go further. I'm buying right now myself. I talked with Alabama Ag Credit last week, and yeah, you know, they've got a 20 year fixed rate for I think we were right at about 3.7, 3.8. And when you t- consider their patronage rate of about one to one and a quarter percent, my effective interest rate is going to be around two, seven, two, eight. And the timber's outgrowing that. There's opportunities out there for everybody right now. Yeah, no doubt, Clint. I mean, really any of the ag banks, first South Farm Credit, Alabama Ag Credit, they can both, they've both got just historically low uh, rates right now. They're used to working with guys that are buying land they deal with this kind of stuff every day. You definitely want to check in with those guys. And the, the other thing I could say about, about working with them is go ahead now and get pre-approved. You know, don't, don't wait until you find your piece of land to do that. It's so important. And I just, I don't, I'm surprised more and more. I've, I try to impress that upon people that are in the market. I must not do a good job or, or they just don't think I'm serious. But right now, I'm seeing people lose deals because they don't have their financing in order when they make their offer. And the person who does is winning out uh, because we are seeing these multiple offer situations. It's so important to get in touch with First South or Alabama Ag and make sure you got all your ducks in a row before you start making offers on properties. You don't want to have to put in any more contingencies than, than you have to in this environment. That's right. Well, folks, this week's show, we're going to be covering farmland values. Before we get there, this week's show is brought to you by the Alabama Ag Credit. Buying real property isn't the same as buying in town. If you're in the market to purchase your own piece of paradise or need an operating line for your farm, give our friends at Alabama Ag Credit a call. As the local experts in rural real estate financing, they can help you with everything from homes and land to tractors and crops. Because sometimes natural resources need financial resources. And while some lenders don't get it, they do. Learn more by visiting alabamaagcredit.com. All right, let's check back in with Ben Maddox over at Acre Trader. We'll talk a little bit about farmland values and what's going on around the country. Ben, welcome back to the show. Hey, Joe. Hey, Clint. Thanks for having me back. Happy to be here. Yeah, man. So it's been the wild, wild west down here on the uh, the land sales side of things. It's been a ton of people entering the marketplace and a lot of sales going down. How are farmland values doing across the country? Are, are you seeing any kind of a a change, an appreciable change with regards to the current environment with interest rates being so low, COVID-19, are you able to pinpoint anything new going on? Yeah. So, you know, speaking at a national level, it's always a little bit difficult because there's lots of uh, small local trends that we need to account for. But at a national level, low interest rates are definitely driving land values, at least uh, stable in some areas and, you know, appreciating in others. I would say that um, even though commodity prices have been a little bit lower, uh, really in the last three, four, five years, land values have have stayed pretty stable in part because of low interest rates. And then in another part, uh, and more recently this year, 
there's just not a lot of supply on the market. And so you, you see a lot of land sellers that are holding on to inventory uh, because they don't really know where else to park their money if they were to cash out. And so, you know, low supply, low interest rates, those are really helping to support land values nationally. Well, you guys analyze farmland investments all over the country. Today, we're going to be talking about the Plain States. Before we jump into the data there, t- tell everybody a little bit more about AcreTrader if they haven't listened to you on the show before. Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, AcreTrader is a farmland investing platform. Uh, investors can go on there and invest in individual farms in really just a few minutes. Uh, we've got minimum investment amount, amounts that you know hover around ten thousand dollars. And the idea is to bring high quality, uh, prime investment grade farmland opportunities to individuals who may not ordinarily have access to this asset class. So, you know, at the end of the day, it's a passive investment opportunity for individual investors. And really, you can find farms all over the United States. We have properties from Washington State all the way to Georgia. Uh, we actually have one upcoming this week when we're uh, recording the podcast in, in Minnesota in the Red River Valley, which we're actually going to talk a little bit about that region at the end of the broadcast, I think. One of the interesting things that we've covered so far uh, in this segment has just been the differences across the country and what y'all consider investment grade farmland and that some states really don't have a, a large area of investment grade farmland. So the plain states, which, which states are we going to be talking about today? Yes, our last podcast was on those Midwestern states, think uh, Iowa, Illinois. Today, we're moving slightly to the West. So for our purposes, the conversation is going to encompass Nebraska, Kansas, South Dakota, and North Dakota. So sort of that Great Plains area. When we move into those areas, do you have large swaths of investment grade farmland or is it a patchwork like we talked about kind of down in the Southeast? Yeah, well, in some ways, those Midwestern states in the previous podcast is a good segue or transition to talking about the Plain States because, you know, the eastern parts of all four of these states actually look quite similar to parts of the Midwest. And in that respect, they support land values and productivity uh, that are quite similar to the Midwest as well. And so most of the prime or investment grade farming opportunities in these states are going to be clustered in the eastern half. Part of the reason the land values are so much higher in the eastern part of these states does have to do with soil to some extent. There are more productive and fertile soils on the eastern sides of all these states. But the real story here is soil moisture. So water is going to be your greatest limiting factor to agricultural productivity in these plain states. And while there's no perfect demarcation, uh, we do typically see folks using this 100th meridian line. So it's a demarcation between what might be considered the humid continental climate of the Midwest and the semi-arid climate of the far west. And, you know, to sort of visualize what that 100th meridian line is, you know, picture a north-south line that's moving almost dead center through all four of these states we're discussing today. Um, You know, one interesting point of of note is over the last, you know, couple decades, people have been noticing that this, this dry line or this rainfall line has been moving eastward a little bit. So the climate is drying out in this area to some extent. And people are now pointing towards, you know, the 98th meridian, the new 100th meridian line. And to show you sort of the extent of the, the gravity of the, of the water change, or the rainfall change in this region, you know, we'll see up to 40 inches of rainfall a year in the far eastern parts of, again, Kansas and Nebraska. Uh, but as you move west, just a few hundred miles, that's cut in half. And so we see rainfall amounts of 20 inches or less. And so 
you know, that's really not enough annual rainfall to support a, a productive crop. And you're going to have to augment that with, uh, you know, groundwater irrigation and pumping. Ben, I, I love that you guys are able to look from a 50,000 foot view and say, you know, what we're looking for in prime farmland is is east of the you know, the 100th meridian and, and and dig deeper from there. But, you know, talk a little bit about what you guys look for when it comes to what you consider prime farmland and, and you know, investment grade farmland. Yeah. So again, if we're going to use that 100th meridian line or maybe the 98th meridian line, uh, it's important to recover this idea of what prime farmland is. And again, for our own internal purposes, it's farmland that has historically had good appreciation, exists in a a liquid land market with frequent sales, has a strong farming community with a a good number of potential farm tenants, access to adequate water resources, which we just covered, and soils that are suitable for continuous crop production. So, you know, these are not soils that are really grassland soils, but they have enough loam and enough organic material to support an annual crop. Ben, on the Irrigation side, I mean, that, that seemed like a lot of uh, the solutions for the rainfall concerns. How often do y'all run into irrigated tracks in that part of the country? Yeah, pretty frequently. I mean, particularly if you are in central Nebraska, central Kansas, and then moving westward, you're going to see a lot more irrigated tracks. And this is primarily going to be center pivot irrigation. You know, in our southeastern podcast, we talked about flood irrigation. We talked about row irrigation. That's, that's less common. Uh, you're going to see a lot more uh, center pivot just because of the rolling topography of this region. Now, one thing that sort of has to be covered in any conversation about irrigating in the plain states is the Ogallala Aquifer. Now, that could be a podcast in its own right. There's a lot of information out there and research being done on it. But basically, it's a giant uh, underwater aquifer that provides irrigation resources to all these plain states, all the way from Texas to Oklahoma up to the Dakotas. And the general consensus is, is that the Ogallala Aquifer is sort of being overdrawn right now. And that's because, you know, this aquifer is, is known as fossil water. And basically what that means is that it's not receiving enough recharge on an annual basis to cover the amount of water being pumped out of it for agricultural uses. And so as we get into the different states here, we'll talk about this some more, but uh, you need to be careful when buying irrigated properties in the plain states because, you know, some of these states are implementing new regulations that either limit groundwater pumping or prohibit new well drilling at all. And so you may buy a property thinking, you know, I can irrigate my crop here and go to get a good return. Uh, but at the end of the day, the state could come in and say, you know, hey, we're actually overdrawn on the aquifer here. And, and that could be a severe impediment to realizing the return you anticipated when you purchased the property. Ben, you also mentioned the importance of having a good farming community and, you know, good potential tenants. I know that's something that I've run into here in the Southeast where, you know, there's basically, there's basically only one farmer that wants to farm a piece of ground in a lot of areas because there's just not a lot of people that are actively farming in those areas. When you move into these areas, how does having more acreage does that help a landowner? And in this case, you know, these investments, does it help you guys to negotiate better land rents if you are uh, able to offer one tenant farmer more acreage? Uh, certainly the trend in U.S. agriculture has been towards larger farms over the last 20, 30, 40 years. And to that extent, I think we do see some premiums on larger tracks that are all you know, contiguous if possible, if not just down the road from one another. So I think for someone who is sitting on a piece of property that has, you know, a large number of contiguous acres all available for sale, 
you might see a premium on that sale as opposed to individual, you know, piecemeal tracks. So Ben, if you're an investor looking to get into farmland in this part of the country, what are the important things that you're looking for? Yeah, I think as we consider the plain states that we're talking about today, one thing that's different about this region than some of the other places we've discussed on previous podcasts is that for the last four or five years, we've actually seen some declines in farmland values in the plain states. And that's certainly not the entire story. There's some localized um, issues that you know we'll cover in detail a little bit later. But on average, a lot of these states have seen declines in farmland values, uh, which is sort of contrary to the overall national trend for agricultural parcels. And so, you know, it's worth spending a moment to try and understand why values might be declining in different parts of this region. And the first is obviously water, which we discussed earlier. There's going to be greater variability in land value as rainfall patterns shift. So again, in the eastern parts of these states, you'll have higher rainfall and, and correspondingly higher values. Uh, there's going to be local regulations around groundwater pumping if you're trying to irrigate with, uh, with the aquifer there. The cost to irrigate might be going up uh, as you have to drill deeper and deeper wells, certainly. And also riparian water rights is something you need to take a look at. There are a few sort of irrigated river valleys. Uh, the Platte River comes to mind um, where you can actually pull out uh, riparian water, but there too, you're going to have some local regulations and restrictions on that. So, so water is the first and foremost issue that might be driving declines in this region. The second can be crop optionality. So you're, you're really tied to a corn, soybean, and wheat uh, pattern in most of this area. So there's going to be pockets of sugar beets and edible beans, particularly in the northern part of this zone. But what that means is that this area and these land values are particularly susceptible to changes in commodity values with corn and soybeans. You know, after the renewable fuel standard was passed in 2005, it really drove a big push in, in corn values. And we saw a drive up in corn uh, prices as well as land. And what happened is we had a lot of farms that were previously in grasslands or pasture being plowed up for corn production. You're going to start seeing a lot of those properties, I think, getting pulled out of production if corn prices sort of continue on the trend that they're at right now. So lack of optionality in crop selection is certainly going to be another factor suppressing land values in this area. You know, property taxes, something you need to be aware of in the plain state. Uh, we've talked about property taxes on all of our other podcasts, and, and this is probably one of, if not the highest region for property taxes. You know, it's not uncommon to see 50 to $70 an acre in property taxes with uh, Nebraska having the, uh, the reputation of perhaps the most uh, tax heavy state among this group. And then finally, uh, there are some uh, difficult ownership restrictions. So for out-of-state investors looking to own farmland in a lot of the plain states, you're going to run into a number of roadblocks around using different organization or corporate entities to purchase farmland with. So you need to be aware of that and speak to an attorney when you're thinking about buying land in this area, which stepping back a bit, I don't mean to sound too alarmist about farmland values. There are some positive trends. You know, 2020 actually saw the first real modest appreciation in this region in, in five or six years. Uh, and that is driven largely by what we discussed at the beginning of the podcast, which again, low interest rates, really the rise of 1031 exchanges and more non-farmers looking to invest in agricultural land. So, you know, the story is not entirely bleak. There are some pockets of good land appreciation and certainly plenty of really good farms, uh, but they are going to be clustered in the eastern regions of most of these states as far as crop production. So, Ben, you covered some of the risks and concerns that you that you see out there. What are some of the value-add opportunities that you're looking for that you're seeing in this part of the country, in this region? Yeah, that's a good question. I think uh, 
sort of the flip side of the coin here is that, you know, property is, is relatively affordable in this region. So, you know, you can pick up uh, good farm tracks for really cheaper than most of the other areas that we've discussed on previous podcasts. So I think that's a, a first and foremost, one of the attractive uh, options about investing in, in the plain states. I would say when you look at irrigated tracks, particularly, again, those those ones that are irrigated by center pivot systems, those are holding their value really well. So I think if you can go in and buy one of those, um, you're going to get some of the highest crop yields, particularly in corn, that we're going to find in the country. And so there's still really good farmland here. Um, I would just say, you know, number one, make sure that you are aware of whether you're looking to buy at a value. You know, do you want to buy the the most productive tract that's irrigated and highly improved and that you know will hold its value over time? Or number two, are you looking to go in and sort of buy properties at a discount, hoping that, you know, maybe commodity prices are going to change a bit? So there's two different strategies an investor could take uh, when it comes to buying land in this area. Well, Ben, let's jump into each individual state and talk about the trend uh, in land values, farmland values specifically that you've covered. You know, let's let's start off with Nebraska since you you kind of left off there talking about the uh, the tax situation in Nebraska. How are land values trending there? Yeah, sure. And and we're going to fly through these kind of quickly, but I, I will say when we talk about these values, keep in mind that about half or more of each of these states is, is really in grassland and pasture. And we're not really talking about those values. What we're talking about at the end of the day is cropland values. And so in Nebraska, in 2020, we use uh, University of Nebraska data. Uh, irrigated tracts are trading for about uh, $6,100 per acre and dryland acres without irrigation, closer to $4,100 per acre. Um, again, property taxes are going to take a big hit here on some of your returns, but the rents are pretty strong. You know, we have some irrigated rents all the way up to $280 an acre. So that's certainly comparable to what you would find in the Midwest. Ben, those values, does that represent a, an upward trend or a stable trend? You know, you mentioned those decreases earlier. How's Nebraska compare? At the end of the day, the top tracks or the the top performing properties, the highest yields, the best water resources, the most improved farms, these are always going to hold their value better than dry land properties, than pasture properties. And so there's really a, um, a bias towards the, the top tier farms. And so I think those properties we're seeing stable, if not appreciating land values. But again, the non-irrigated farms, we are seeing a little bit of drop off in in value there. And some of that is going to be ultimately tied to declining commodity prices. So those dry, those dry properties just don't perform. They're just not as economical for a producer, uh, sort of an era of pressed commodity prices. Ben, jumping over to Kansas, what are you seeing there? Yep. So we're using Kansas State University data here. Irrigated land values are drastically different in Kansas as compared to Nebraska, about $2,400 per acre, with dry land acres coming in around $1,700 per acre. Um, much like Nebraska, values are going to shift from the higher end in the east to the lower end in the west. Uh, but one thing to keep in note in Kansas, as opposed to Nebraska, is we have a lot more acreage in pasture in Nebraska, or in, sorry, in Kansas than we do in Nebraska. So um, you're going to see localized hits to pasture values in particular uh, when the cattle market is down, which, uh, you know, again, at the time of our recording this podcast, it, it's tough times in the cattle market. And so that will certainly affect land values in a state with a higher percentage in pasture. Uh, sort of moving on to the Dakotas, South Dakota and North Dakota offer an interesting contrast in values. 
We have to acknowledge, you know, first off the bat, that South Dakota is going to have slightly higher productivity and thus values than North Dakota will have. And part of this is obviously driven by a colder temperature the farther north you go. Uh, But another general guideline for investors to note when it comes to both of the Dakota states is that most of the prime farmland is going to lie east of the Missouri River. West of that, and you're really just getting into grasslands that don't have good productivity for crop production. Uh, Another phenomenon you want to watch out for in the Dakotas is is prairie potholes. These are an interesting uh, geologic formation. They're sort of seasonal wetlands that fill up with water and then dry out in the summer. Some of these are actually going to be protected wetlands, so you need to consider that if you're an investor looking at buying a property. But you also need to know that a lot of these sort of prairie pothole areas were brought into production, again, with that renewable fuel standard in 2005, and really probably not prime farm tracks. And so you, you, need, you want to look at the history of a parcel and say, you know, hey, has this been farmed prior to 2005 or not? And that'll give you a good sense of, you know, what the long-term sustainability of continual annual crop production is on that parcel. So getting into the specific values in South Dakota, again, using South Dakota state data, uh, we find that uh, the average uh, high-quality non-irrigated farm is, you know, trading for around $3,600 per acre. Now, if we only looked at the southeastern corner of that state of South Dakota, the story would be quite different. Land values there are going to be twice as high as they are on the average. And really, the properties are going to be much more similar to Iowa or even southern Minnesota uh, in that part of southeastern South Dakota. So again, regional differences really account for a lot within some of these plain states. And then finally, moving to North Dakota. So we generally see some of the lower land values in the plain states in North Dakota. Um, but there is one area in particular to highlight, which is the Red River Valley. It's really uh, an interesting geologic formation. Uh, it's an ancient uh, lake bed, Lake Agassiz. Uh, it's very flat, very fertile, and land values in the Red River Valley are going to be twice what they are on average for the entire state of North Dakota. Um, so, so using North Dakota state data, uh, average state land values for a crop ground in North Dakota are hovering right around $2,000 an acre. One sort of interesting note to point to, in states with more marginal crop ground like North Dakota, we have been seeing some reports that over the last two years, the market facilitation program or payments has really been supporting land values to some extent. And so when you're looking at investing in farmland in one of these areas, you need to be taking into account government programs, policies, or payments that may be inflating or supporting land values in a way that's not sustainable in the long run. So let's see, we got to think about soil type, water, soil moisture, crop productivity, property taxes. Uh, we're also now considering government payments and, and other programs that are out there. There's a few things to consider when it comes to farmland, <laughs> Ben. It's almost like uh, somebody could make a full-time job out of doing this. Yeah, that's right. And I think we've concluded some of our other podcasts by sort of pointing investors or potential investors towards a finding a land professional, whether it's your local land broker or agent, uh, a local farm appraiser, um, all these individuals, uh, acre trader included, uh, can help you sort of sort through all the noise when it comes to investing in farmland and find a property that will keep you from sort of falling into one of these traps of unforeseen problems, whether it's groundwater regulations, property tax changes, or uh, unique geologic formations like uh, prairie potholes, for example. So 
um, you know, always want to recommend people to reach out to a land professional who can help steer them uh, down the right path when it comes to investing in farmland. Well, Ben, I know you guys certainly subscribe to the uh, the hundred to one rule. I'm sure y'all are looking at a hundred properties for every one that you invest in. And why don't you uh, why don't you wrap things up by telling us about this Minnesota farm that you got it's got coming online? Yep, uh, actually put it up tomorrow, which will be uh, August 13th on on our end, and it's it's actually going to be a certified organic farm producing edible beans. So some of these pinto and black beans will be produced there. And it's right there in the Red River Valley on the Minnesota side, about 10 miles east of Grand Forks. You know, we like this area because, again, it's in the Red River Valley, had really good land appreciation over the last 10 to 15 years. Uh, We like the fact that it's certified organic. It certainly differentiates the farm uh, to a certain extent. And, uh, you know, this is an area in the Plains states. You know, we'll, we'll lump all of the Red River Valley in that Plains states region it's an area that has had, you know, twice as much or twice as high land values as the rest of these uh, states. So, you know, we really like the area, we like the farmer, and we like differentiating our investment with the certified organic piece there. So watch for that on our website. Uh, should be going up on August 13th. So I really appreciated my, my time here on the podcast as always, and uh, already looking forward to the next one, guys. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Ben. Enjoyed having you. And uh, we will be looking forward to the next one as well. What are we going to be talking about next time? I think next time we're going to be covering California, which <laughs> it could almost be two or three podcasts where we're going to we're going to squeeze it all in in one podcast there. That'll be a good one. The land of fruit and nuts. I can't wait. All right, guys. Talk to you soon. Thanks, man. All right, guys. This week's farmland value update has been brought to you by Bay County Armory. Building an AR-10 or AR-15 can be a daunting task. Don't let the feeling of overwhelm stop you from having the exact AR you want. Give Bay County Armory a call at 850-832-2238 or check them out online at baycountyarmory.com. Clint, you know, there's a lot that goes into the what, what they're doing analyzing farmland. And it's so varied across the country. I mean, what are you seeing right now in your area with regards to farmland trends? Things stay stable. Uh, that's the good thing about where we are in the country, but you know, there's always a lot of demand for it. And I think a lot of that is because there's such low inventory of it around here. You just don't see a lot come on the market at once or, or really at all. It's always in demand and always stable, which is a, a good thing. Yeah. And I mean, I think like what I see too, is that sometimes a track pops up next to a farmer, you know, and he's like, I got to have that. I have to have that. I can't not have that. And so he's got a little bit more tied up in that property than just a purely academic ROI or yield consideration. And that leads to higher land values in cases. I think a lot of people see those transactions happening and they think, well, that's what land's going for now. That's what I should get for mine. And they put their stuff out there on the market way too high, sits on the market for too long. It's a stigma. You see the same same thing in your area? Yeah. You know, it's like, I don't know. Everybody said when I got married, I got married too late. I'm sure that hurt me in the dating game, you know? <laughs> it definitely didn't help with your looks. But, um, <laughs> I, you know, I, this is a something we've touched on before, that there's always a difference between comparable sales and area sales, and you can't make a decision uh, about what your land should bring or what it's worth just because of what you heard something sold for down the road. You know, even if you've got all the details, it still may not be a true comparable for yours. And, you know, it's always really important to to understand your components of value 
thoroughly and correctly and, and try to remove any emotion from that and, you know, try to be objective about it. That's something that we do a lot for, for landowners when we come in and, and, you know, do a really detailed BPO for them and, and break things down and provide them with true comparable sales. So they really understand where they need to be so that, you know, if and when they decide to sell, they don't just sit out there on the market and, you know, have their property stigmatized or something based on the amount of time it's been out there. Cause it's not yeah. always about selling for top market or above market. I mean, that's our goal. But the other side of that is to try to do it in the shortest amount of time possible, uh, which comes down to accurate pricing and above average marketing. So selling something at a strong price in a shorter amount of time is the same thing as making more money, you know, looking at it from a time value of money perspective. Well, not only that, I mean, like what I'm dealing with right now on one of my farmland tracks is we've got a multiple offer situation going on. We've got three offers on the property. And now the, the, the price is going up uh, to the point where we're even seeing, you know, over asking price <laughs> offers. And when a property sits on the market for too long, like you said, it gets that stigma, but it also invites those purchasers to make a lowball offer because they think, well, nobody else wants it. So why don't I just throw something out there and see if they'll take it? And that doesn't help <laughs> either uh, when you're trying to sell your land. So I think the thing I, lear I learned from talking to Ben and, and seeing how much detail that they go into when they're considering a purchase as an investment grade farmland is that while we can sit here and look at these these trends and these numbers and the big data, you still got to get local and understand what's going on, not just, not just in that county, but that specific property. You've got to understand what's going on with the properties right around it. Yeah. Uh, and you got to talk to somebody who understands everything that's going on in, in that region. I, I don't know. I, th I don't think you can stress that enough. That's right. So much, so much, so many things in our business, our industry as a whole is, is community specific, not just state or county specific, you know, so there's, there's a lot of things that come into play, especially if you're an out of state landowner, you may not be aware of all the, of what's going on. Um, and even if you are local, but you're not in our business every day, uh, there's a lot you could miss as well. Well, folks, if you guys are interested in farmland values, definitely subscribe to this podcast. We're going to continue to cover that with Ben. And, you know, we're going to be getting into some other types of farmland as well. Not, not just talking corn and soybeans. They do a lot of permanent crops through their, in, their investments. And we're going to be talking about that and, and the considerations there as well. So y'all be looking forward to that. But that is going to wrap it up for us this week. As always, please be sure uh, to subscribe, rate, and review. Uh, really appreciate those reviews. It takes less than a minute wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you'd like us to email you this podcast each week, just head over to greatdaysoutdoors.com slash land to join our weekly email. That's going to wrap it up. Y'all stay safe out there. We'll talk to you next time. This week's show has been brought to you by Joe Bai and Clint Flowers, members of the top producing team at National Land Realty, the fastest growing and most innovative land brokerage in the nation. With hunting season right around the corner and interest rates at historic lows, now is a great time to buy or sell land. If you want to learn more, shoot us an email at pros at landhunting.com or call us at 855-NLR-LAND. And also, Great Days Outdoors, the South's finest hunting and fishing magazine. Pick up your copy wherever magazines are sold or check them out at greatdaysoutdoors.com.
and also brought to you by Alabama Black Belt Adventures and their new coffee table book, Black Belt Bounty. A great gift for the outdoorsman in your life, Black Belt Bounty features award-winning writers, photography, and recipes from some of Alabama's nationally recognized celebrity chefs. Pick up your copy at alabamablackbeltadventures.org slash blackbeltbounty. And also, Wildlife Management Solutions. The experts at Wildlife Management Solutions can guide you on selecting the best forage for your soils and goals. So give them a call at 877-400-8089 or check out their website with more information and a full dealer list at productsforwildlifemanagement.com. And also, Alabama Ag Credit, buying real property isn't the same as buying in town. If you're in the market to purchase your own piece of paradise or need an operating line for your farm, give our friends at Alabama Ag Credit a call. As a local experts in rural real estate financing, they can help you with everything from homes and land to tractors and crops. Learn more by visiting alabamaagcredit.com. And also, Bay County Armory. Are you looking for a purpose-built AR-10 or AR-15? If you are, be sure to check out Bay County Armory. BCA builds firearms that suit your individual needs. Check them out at baycountyarmory.com or give them a call at 850-832-2238.